So Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this morning. A morning where we get to fix our minds, attention, and our hearts' affection on you. And I pray that that would be true in our lives, not just this morning, but every morning and every moment in a world that is full of distraction and discouragement. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you in your word, we would there find the truth that you are a grand storyteller. Because it is the story that is the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas to you. What a great time of year this is. You know, I, I was once challenged when we started doing Christmas music a few years ago that, that they'd, some people didn't like Christmas music because they felt like it wasn't worshipful. And I thought, you must be listening to the wrong music because I tell you what, the lyrics of every one of those songs that that group just sang, yeah, that's worship. And it's not because of how they sang it, but it's because of the truth that was sung. And we need to just um, overwhelm each other with that truth this season in a world that doesn't want us to know the truth that the Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. So in order to help with kind of overcoming this busy and distracting season, the church does Advent and has been doing it for centuries. We've been doing it for about four years now as a way to intentionally partner together to, to come together around Christ at Christmas. And not just around Christ at Christmas, but viewing his first coming as a precursor to his second Advent, his second coming. And our series is entitled Behold the Lamb, and it just comes from the scene in John where John, it says right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he starts, he busts out on the scene, and John the Baptist looks up and he points and he sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God's people, you gotta, you gotta realize, to, for that to have impact, God's people for centuries had been bringing their lamb to God's temple to atone for their sin. And now here the lamb comes to them and most of them missed it. And most of the world today misses it. The promised Messiah has always been described as a lamb. In Isaiah 53, the well-known um, messianic um, prophecy of, of his piercing for our transgressions that we all think about at Easter time, it, Isaiah tells us that, that he was like a lamb led to slaughter like a sheep that was silent before his shearer. He's describing Jesus 700 years before Jesus even came. Here's John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we not only want to look at Christmas as, as Abby shared and even as Dan was sharing a little bit about the situations with families that we'll get into here in a minute when we get into our passage. It, we, we want to see Christmas as not just a time to celebrate a baby born in a manger or even Jesus, the word becoming flesh, but we want to see it as, as this is God's fulfillment of all of his promises. And because he has worked everything together to, fit, to fulfill those promises in his first coming, he will finish the job. And we want to see his first advent, Christmas, as the filter through which we look forward to his second advent. Because Jesus says in Revelation 
that he is coming quickly and that his reward will be with him. So today we're going to look at this first week of Advent and we're going to look at it this way. Behold the Lamb who makes peace. And I think, it's, I think the church has always started with this one, peace, because it, it, I think that it's always been a busy season. So it's kind of a good time to sort of start and take a breath and go, are we really experiencing the peace of God? So that's today's question. How do I find peace? In the middle of physical struggles and, and, and ailments and, and, a t- and sickness, in the middle of family strife, in the middle of whatever is going on in our lives, how do I find peace? Peace. Because don't we all want that? Don't we all want to live that way? Here, we don't just teach a message on a topic like peace, but we teach a text at Cornerstone. And so our text today is Romans 5, 1 through 11. So open up your Bibles to Romans 5, and let's look and see what Paul has to say about peace. Romans is towards the middle of your New Testament, so towards the back half of your Bible, the end of your Bible, if you open it up, Romans 5, and I'm just going to start in the first couple of verses. In Romans 5, we're going to look at our first point, that it starts with God. How do we find peace? It has to start with God. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom Also, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Guys, I I could stop at verse 1, maybe maybe get on to verse 2, because that verse 1, all by itself, verse 1, should drop us to our knees. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. we have lost the awe of just that, that statement. That, that word justified there, I always remember it this way, it's, it's this picture of having been made completely right. It's, it's the scene, it was once described to me as, God sees us just as if I'd never sinned. He sees us as perfect and spotless, and thereby we have peace with him. But guys, why, why is this message of, why is it not so jaw-dropping awesome? I, I, here's why I think we're not in awe of that statement, that we have peace with God. Because most of us don't believe we were ever enemies of his. That a message of peace doesn't really mean very much if we don't think that there was conflict in the first place. And the truth is that most of us live a life where we feel like we're not that bad. That God is this grand scorekeeper and that relative to most everybody else in the world, I'm doing okay, so he's got to let most people in. So I've got to at least be on the most half of life. Right? We, we, we don't believe that all of us are enemies of God. That all of us were our rebels. We, we, don't, we, 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 have, we have become so self-deceived into thinking, at least I'm not that person. So I'm good with God. At least I don't commit the big sins. So I'm good. But the truth is, every single one of us, guys, every one of us was hostile, was an enemy of God. And that's why the fact that he made peace with us is so incredibly jaw-dropping. Because he didn't have to. He doesn't need us. 
We think that, that, that he saved us because we're so, like, well, I mean, we're just special and, and he loves us so much. And yes, he does love us, but he didn't need to. He did it just because that's who he is, not because of who we are. So this peace that we have starts with God. And the reason this sort of moralized thinking that the church has created of just do good things or, 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 or at least we're not as bad as those people out there in the world, the reason it is so detrimental is it keeps us from the grace of God. Guys, if you don't come to Christ knowing that you are a sinner in desperate need, you didn't come to Christ. Jeff asked about getting baptized. If, if maybe you made a profession of faith because you just thought, you know what, this going to heaven thing sounds pretty good, and I do kind of like this church deal, and people here are friendly and kind, and so I want to I be part of that world. And you got baptized in that way, you haven't really come to Christ. Unless you came to Christ going, I am a, I am a wretched sinner who deserves to be squashed like a bug. And yet, in his great love towards us, he brought Jesus Christ. Unless you come that way, you didn't come. So if you're coming that way today, maybe today is the day you come that way. Maybe this season is the season you come that way. I would ask you to get up here on the 30th of January and make a profession of that to the glory of God. Guys, get this. Pay, listen to this. Satan has no problem with you being moral. Satan has no problem with you being at church today. None. Satan has no problem with you practicing Christmas. The only goal Satan has is to keep you from the cross. That's it. It's to keep you from recognizing your, my, our desperate need for the cross of Jesus Christ. That is his number one goal. Because all the rest of it doesn't matter. You can be the best, you can literally be the best person you know. Not just self-deceived, you could actually be that person. There is somebody out there that's like the best person who's ever lived. It was probably Daniel in the Bible, but, or maybe Dan, but, just kidding. But, it doesn't matter. If you haven't come to the cross of Jesus Christ, you're still going to hell. And that's why he wants to keep us from the cross. Guys, this isn't to make you, you're like, okay, I came here for Christmas and fun, and this isn't to make us feel bad. We should feel good, honestly. When we realize that reality, that, that this is who we were, and Christ died for me anyway, that should bring us great joy. That is where our peace comes from. Our peace with God came from God. And, and that, should, that should encourage us to go, you know what, all of that, that that Doug just said is true, and yet God still sent his son, a baby born in a manger, to die on a cross for me. That's love. And that's what we'll look at next week. Guys, seeing our need for grace is what, is what makes grace so amazing to us. So let's start by seeing our need for grace. But when we think about Christmas and we think about why he came, do we think of peace? Probably not, because we don't necessarily see a reason that peace needed to be made. But he came, a baby born in a manger, to make peace with the world. That was God's plan. He called his shot all the way back in the garden in Genesis during the fall. Christmas is just the fulfillment of the first part of that plan. In Isaiah chapter 9, 
he says this, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's who our Savior is. But guys, I, I love this, the last part of this passage too. Not only do we have peace with God, but in the second, in the second he says, and this is how we have our, obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. Guys, Christ is, he invites us. He doesn't stand back and go, man, you're a sinner. All those things that, that Doug just mentioned, those are you and you don't deserve me. So stay back. He doesn't say that. He invites us in. He's saying, I am introducing you into the very throne room of God that you might taste his grace. So how do we experience peace this season? The writer of Hebrews tells us that because we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. So how do we find peace? Here's how, you find, here's how you're going to find peace between now and December 24th. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That actually means the initiator and the finisher is what that means. He is the one who started our faith. He is the one that will see it through to the end. Praise God. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. That is the baby that was born in the manger. That's how we find peace, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. So how do we find peace? It starts with God. Right, the angels come, and we're going to see this as we go through the season. The angels come, and glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace on those in whom his favor rests. Who does his favor rest in? On those who trust in him for salvation. Those are the ones favored of God. So not only, that, that is the good news of the gospel. So not only does it start with God, are we to find peace, we have to trust in God. Why do we have to trust in God? Because this life is so incredibly hard. Guys, this life is hard. And that's why if we don't really trust, if we don't know him to be who he is, and then know him to be trustworthy, our faith will get rattled. I mean, our faith will get rattled anyway, won't it? Right, you get the phone call that says someone you love has cancer, that'll rattle your faith. You find out that one of your children has walked away from the Lord, that'll rattle your faith. But that's the moment we got to trust him for who he is. Why? Because this life is so hard. Right after Paul talks about peace, we have peace with God. Look at where he goes next in the next three verses. He starts talking about pain. Why? I'll tell you why in just a minute. Look at verse 3. And not only this, so he's like, not only do we have peace, and you've been invited in, but not only this, you also, we also exult. That means like jump up and down. Yeah, I mean, it literally means like, like, like we're talking, like skipping around going, yeah, ha, ha. Most of you weren't looking, which is probably a good thing. We exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given us. You're like, wait a second, Paul. You just said we had peace with God. Now you're talking about all this struggle and trial and pain. What's he talking? What's that about? He's saying, guys, the fact that we have peace in God allows us to do verses three through five. 
And I love how Daniel, not knowing that I was going to talk about this, because I believe Jesus was the great peacemaker. He made peace with us this way, and he made peace with people this way. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. What Dan, I love what, Dan, what Daniel shared up here during the candle lighting and what he prayed, not knowing what I was going to talk about, talking about how we need to go out and be peace publishers, because that's part of what he does, is publish stuff. So peace publishers, we need to be peace proclaimers. How do we do that? Because the world is so hard and people are frankly frustrating and hurtful, right? I mean, sometimes the cashier that you want to share Christ with doesn't want to give you the time of day. And sometimes neither does the person you're sitting next to now. I, I'm going to reread those three verses in light, not of, because when, when I hear the word tribulation, I think of physical circumstance, physical pain, my back going out, um, you know, problems like, things like money problems, like more tangible stuff. I want you to picture what those verses look like only in the context of relational struggles in your family, at work, at school. Listen, listen to those verses again. We have peace with God. We've been initiated into his grace. We've been invited to the throne of God. And not only this, but we get to, oh, we are overjoyed. We exult in our tribulations with people. Knowing that those frustrating people, those tribulations, bring perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Doesn't it, give it a different, doesn't it give it a different perspective on our people problems when we realize that, that, the, that God orchestrates those people problems on purpose for the result that we would hope in him no matter what those people problems are? Because my hope, as much as I love my wife, my hope and my peace cannot be found in her. Because the minute she does something that I don't like, which is almost never, ever, ever in 22 years of marriage, <laughs> I will lose my peace and my hope if that's where I put it. That's not good. And if she were up here teaching, she would say, and I've had to practice that with Doug many, many times. Jesus said, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Isn't that interesting? Why does he call us sons? Why does he say son? peacemakers are sons of God? Why? Why sons? Wouldn't it be blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called wonderful or well, sons of God? What does that mean? Because a son, in, in his audience, in his world, a son did the work of a father. What was Jesus' earthly job before he started his public ministry? Carpenter, Why? Because Joseph was. So when he says you are, so he's saying you are my son. You do my job when you bring peace. But guys, peace always costs something, and that's why it's so hard. Peace always costs something. How do we know that? That is how we know it costs something. That peace that we have with God costs something. The peace, the peace you have with other people costs something somebody's got to give. Praise God, Jesus gave it all for our peace this way. But this way, it's got to work. Somebody's got to give. And as Christians, we are to be peacemakers. I, I confess that is really, really hard for me. 
But why should we do it? Because guys, here's the truth. The more we suffer with Christ, or the more we suffer like Christ, the more we become like Christ. Peter puts it this way. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you, which come upon you as, the testing, as your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But now get this. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Keep on, to use Paul's word, not Peter's, exalting. Keep exalting in these tribulations. Why? So that your exaltation at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice, I'm sorry, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may, ex, you may rejoice with exaltation. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, guys, as you're struggling, and, he, and, and Peter is talking about relationships with people. And, and specifically, in his case, he's talking about people coming after the Christians to persecute them, to kill them, which is happening in a lot of places in this world. And he says, don't just like, don't act like there's something surprising about that. As, as Christ followers, those that are following, that are, that are trying to be like Christ, it happened to him. Why would it not happen to us? But here's the beauty of it. So, so but wait a minute, Doug, why would I sign on to that deal? Because Peter tells us in 1 Peter, if you're taking notes, 1 Peter 5.10. 1 Peter 5.10. Because after, here's why. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ... He will, here's the promise, he will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Guys, why do we exalt in our tribulations? Why do we rejoice in our personal, interpersonal conflicts? Because it conforms us into the image of Christ, and the closer, the more like Christ we are, the more glory we bring God, and the more he will exalt us, even in heaven. There are degrees of reward in heaven. I don't get it, but Peter's telling us, guys, hang in there, trust in God, and watch what he does for you when it really matters, which is for all of eternity, not just for today. So how do we find peace? First, it starts with God. Second, we have to trust in God. Guys, here's a picture of trust. Jesus in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. That's trust. But guys, was, was Christ's conflict the cross? Was Christ's conflict the cross? No. The cross was the instrument that made peace with the conflict. Jesus was not shocked by the cross. He didn't go to the garden and go, I did not know this was the plan, Father, when you sent me. He knew all along. His conflict was with people. His conflict was with you and with me. That's why he, so when he says, not my will, but thy will be done, he's not saying, remove this cross. He's saying, remind me that the only way we get these people back, Father, is if I go do this for them. That's it. And let me do your will. And that ability to, in the middle of being in trouble, in the middle of being persecuted, in the middle of being in struggle, and being able to go, not my will, Father, but your will be done, is an act of God. And look at what Paul says in verses 6 through 10. He says, For while, I was while we were still helpless, that means able to do nothing, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even die. 
but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's a very well-known verse, and we, you may, many of you maybe have memorized that as a way to witness, and that's awesome, but, but get this. That, that, that is just the beginning of the thought here. He says, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died. And then he says, but much more then. He's like, even better than that, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were, now get this, listen, listen to this. If while we were enemies, which is what we were before, we were reconciled through, his, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Here's what he's saying in a nutshell. If God loved you that much when you were, when you were thumbing your nose at him, shaking your fist at him, how much more is he going to do for you now that you've come to know him and confessed him as Lord? Guys, in that passage, it, it shows we were helpless enemies, sinners, completely dead. And then it shows we are now justified, he sees us just as if I'd, ever, I'd never sinned. We are safe from wrath, and we are reconciled. Now, guys, depending on how you're wired, we tend to skip one or the other of those lists. We tend to do what I was saying earlier. I'm not that bad. I, I was not an enemy. I was not helpless. I, was not, I partnered with God in my salvation. Or we tend to live there and go, yeah, I am not justified. I am not seen as blameless. I am not worthy of his grace, so I don't have it. But that either one of those is wrong. Either one of those does not show what the cross of Christ did. And so I'm going to take a minute, and, and I've done this before, but I'm going to do it again maybe a little differently. But, but here's how we see what, what Paul's talking about here, that Christ died for us. If this is our lives, we live our lives going, okay, so here's, here, and I'm just speaking for me now, here's Doug's problem. Anger. Is that how you spell anger? I don't know. Don't, don't check my spelling here. Envy. Um, deceit. If I'm going to be honest, lust. How about gossip? And, and guys, I, could, I mean, you know, I could fill this thing up. And I have at other times when I've done this. Right? This, is, this is our life. This is what God sees. This is me as an enemy of God. But here's, what we, here's, here's the sad part about what we do to the grace of God. We believe that when Paul tells us in Colossians that when you were yet dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you a, to alive together with him by canceling the record of debt against you. That's what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2. We believe it looks like this. He, he stamped a cancel check on it. Here's the problem. That sort of maybe makes us think that, that okay, I, I still sort of see where I was helpless. I still sort of see where I was an enemy of God. And oh, by the way, God can still see it too. And I sort of see how God has canceled the record of sin. But he keeps his ledger book in his cabinet and when he really wants to bring it out, he can still pull out this piece of paper and he can still see my sin. That's not what the word, that's not what God's word says, guys. That's not what the cross did. The cross did not do this. The cross 
did this. That's what the cross did. The cross, that word there that Paul uses in Colossians, I don't know if it came up yet or not, but in Colossians chapter 2, when it says he canceled the record of sin, it actually means he annihilated it. Here's how I remember it. God distinctly remembers forgetting the sins I beat myself up over all the time. God distinctly remembers forgetting, choosing to forget in his sovereignty, the sins I beat myself up about all the time. Guys, this is the life Paul's talking about. This, guys, get this. This is what peace looks like. If we don't see this, there is no way we can have real peace. Because the peace, peace of God always involves the true gospel. If we don't see our lives like this, how can I possibly live in real peace with my family? I can manufacture manly peace that'll last for a while. But when I look at someone who has wronged me, I feel, I feel like has genuinely wronged me for the umpteenth time, and I'm just done in my flesh. Christ says, one more. How many times should I forgive him, Lord? I, I, how many times should I forgive that person for doing that same thing to me over and over and over again? And Christ says to me, Doug, one more. Because I have peace with you, have peace with them. Forgiveness is the key to peace. Forgiveness is the key to peace. That's where Paul started. We have peace with God. We have peace with God, how? Because he has forgiven our sins through the cross of Jesus Christ. If you want peace with your family, forgiveness is the way through. When we get back into the toolkit in January, Lord willing, guess what the first topic is? Forgiveness. Great way to start the year. How do we find peace with God? Here's my last point, and I wrap it up quickly with this. It is the presence of God in your life. It is the presence of God in your life. The peace of God comes from peace with God. Paul says it this way, and not only this, in verse 11, and not only this, he's like, and above and beyond this, we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. He started all the way back at the, at the beginning of the chapter, he started with, you have been justified having peace with God through Jesus Christ. And then he finishes the thought with, and not only this, guys, but we jump up and down in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Reconciliation being brought together to Christ, or to God through Christ, is where we find our peace. It is the key to the whole thing. Okay, it, it is th this idea of reconciliation. If you remember, if you were, if you were old enough, how many, of you, if, how many of you were old enough to remember the credit card machines where they actually put your credit card on the thing and went ching, right? Very few of us want to raise our hands. That idea of, is, is this idea, it's reconciliation. 
right? It was this idea of, okay, well, I'm gonna, you owe me some money. The way, I, the way this, I'm going to get the money, Mr. Store Clerk, is I'm going to reconcile this debt through this little piece of plastic. The card is that reconciliation. And the reconciliation is an exchange. But here's the thing. It is the greatest exchange that's ever happened in the world because it's Christ's supreme worth in exchange for my complete filth once for all. That's the reconciliation that has happened. It is the supremacy of Christ and his worth paying for my unpayable debt. That is the gospel. Jesus said it himself in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom, a reconciliation payment for many. What does all this have to do with Christmas? I would say everything, guys. Everything. Because if all we do is look at the cute story of the baby in the manger, it's what Abby shared when she was doing our manger set. If all we look at is, oh, isn't that a cute, isn't that a great story? We go, and th th guys, that is not what the story is about. That's why he was born in a manger. The story is about who he came to be and what he came to to do. And that's to reconcile our debt. That's why we celebrate. That's why Christmas is worthy of the celebration. And so I finish where I started. Because he's coming again. Guys, he's coming again. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. He fulfilled all the promises in his first coming he will finish the job of fulfilling the promises in his second coming and redemption that has already happened through his reconciliation will become perfect restoration. Redemption that has happened through his reconciliation will become perfect restoration at his second coming. Guys, all of this, guess what all of this, this where, where does the story start? Where, physically, where does it start? In the beginning, where are they? In the garden. Guess what the rest of the story is about? Bringing us back to the garden. Because all of this happens. Jesus came the first time. Jesus will come again. It's all recorded right here because he's going to bring the new heaven and the new earth down. And in that garden, before sin entered the world, he's gonna, God is going to make it like that again. And there will be no more crying. No more pain, no more conflict. Everyone will be your best friend. Everyone will know everything about you and love you completely. That is what we have to look forward to. That is why we keep looking up for his second coming. That is why Christ is worth celebrating. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that you are telling such a great story. It may not be the way I would have you tell it, but it's better. It's be better because in the meantime, we get to taste your grace. And so Lord, I pray that as we enter into this season of Advent, of celebrating your first coming and keeping your second coming
clearly in view. Lord, I do pray that we would be a people that would remember that your grace is sufficient, that your power is perfected in our weaknesses. And so we would boldly boast about our weaknesses, that you might show yourself strong in our lives. And Lord, I pray that one of the ways that that strength would be shown is in the peace of your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen.